Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at podgo.co. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. That's right, we have reached double digits and I couldn't be more excited. For those of you who have listened to this podcast over the past few months, I've really enjoyed it and am really honored and blessed to be reaching episode 10 today. Got a great show in store for you. We'll start off with a podcast shout out here momentarily. After that, plenty more pro wrestling talk. Another largely wrestling based episode. We'll have this day in wrestling history, which we debuted about three weeks ago, and that'll return today. Then I'll be joined by Jesse Velasquez, native of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Jesse is the owner of JCV Wellness there in Minnesota, so we'll talk about that. He's also a two-time United States Masters Olympic weightlifter and a wrestling contributor for a couple different wrestling websites, the Daily DDT for Fansided, and a new site called WrestleJoy.com. He'll join me for Talking Smack with J-Mac, and he'll stick around for Ranky Panky as we rank our top five favorite tag teams of all time. So looking forward to that conversation later. But right now, let's get to this podcast shout-out. So for this week's podcast shout-out, I'd like to shout-out a very special sports podcast. You know, last week I was looking to get to 600 followers on Twitter. I was able to get there. I uh, surpassed 600 followers, but once I got to 599, I said, okay, who wants to be the special person who is my 600th follower? And it just so happened that my 600th follower was one of the two co-hosts for a podcast called Walk On Sports Podcast. It's co-hosted by a couple of guys named Mark and Trey, two huge Dallas Cowboys fans, and Mark ended up being my 600th follower. He asked me jokingly, so what do I win? And I said, how about a shout out on my next podcast? And so here I am giving a shout out to Mark and Trey of Walk On Sports Podcast. Their podcast have been going since April and they release on Podbean and Spotify. You can follow them on Twitter at Walk On Cast. And they've also each got their own individual Twitters, but you can find their individual Twitter handles. They're at Walk On Cast on Twitter. Give them a follow and listen to their shows on Tuesday as you get primed for us on Wednesdays. These are just guys that talk about NFL, MLB, NBA, some soccer talk, some uh, college sports. So they kind of cover it all. All the things you could want. And at the beginning of their first episode back in April, they said, we're just regular dudes taking our sports opinions from the bar to the studio, even though that studio is technically right next to the bar in their home. (laughs) So Mark and Trey, give them a listen. Walk on sports podcast, as I said, Podbean and Spotify. With that said, let's get on in to some wrestling talk. Let's head into this day in wrestling history. We kick off this week's edition of This Day in Wrestling History with a notable birth. On July 1st, 1982, Carmella de Caesar was born. The 2004 Playboy Playmate of the Year also participated in the second iteration of the WWE Diva Search in 2004. Carmella, who turns 37 today, was one of 10 finalists for the 2004 Diva Search, finishing runner-up to Christy Hemme. Other notable contestants in the 04 Diva Search included Maria Canellis, who finished 5th, and Michelle McCool, who finished 7th. The Caesar feuded with Christy Hemme following the competition, but was out of the WWE before the end of the year in 04. Three years later, she married then-NFL quarterback Jeff Garcia, who was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the time. The couple remain married today and have four children, two daughters, and two sons. We move ahead to July 1st, 1991, when the Nature Boy Ric Flair was fired by World Championship Wrestling due to a contract dispute when he refused to take a pay cut of over 50%. 
Now, this pay cut came on the heels of Flair having some creative disagreements about where his character should go as well. Flair, who was the world champion at the time and was scheduled to defend the title against Lex Luger in a steel cage match a few weeks later at the Great American Bash, was stripped of his championship and fired, with Luger instead facing and defeating Barry Windham for the vacant championship to win his first career world title. Flair would sign with the WWF in August of 91 and would record one of his greatest accomplishments the following January when he won the 1992 Royal Rumble and the vacant WWF Championship after entering number three and lasting over an hour. Flair would ultimately return to WCW in 1993 and remain there until the company closed its doors in 2001 when it was bought out by Vince McMahon and WWF, which would soon become WWE. Ric Flair wrestled Sting in the final match of the final episode of WCW Monday Nitro. Next up is an event that took place on July 1st, 1999 when it was announced on WWF.com that the company had signed former World Championship Wrestling wrestler Chris Jericho to a multi-year deal. The WWF would promote his debut with a countdown to the Millennium Clock that played on all WWF programming until he made his debut with the company by interrupting a promo by The Rock on the August 9, 1999 episode of Monday Night Raw in Chicago. Jericho wrestled exclusively for WWF slash WWE until just a few years ago, although he did take several hiatuses to tour with his heavy metal band, Fozzy, for which he is the lead singer. Jericho is currently a member of the All Elite Wrestling roster and was the company's first world champion, holding the title from August 31st of 2019 until this past February 29th, when he lost to John Moxley who was formerly Dean Ambrose in WWE. Moxley remains the champion to this day. We finish on July 1st, 2002, when The Undertaker defeated Jeff Hardy to retain the WWE Undisputed Championship in a ladder match in the main event of Monday Night Raw at the Verizon Wireless Arena in Manchester, New Hampshire. Although Hardy lost the match, he gained the dead man's respect as Undertaker shook Jeff Hardy's hand after the match. Other matches that night saw Brock Lesnar defeat Ric Flair, Christopher Nowinski knock off Bradshaw, Rob Van Dam beat William Regal, Bubba Ray and Spike Dudley defeat Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero, and Booker T beat Big Show via countout. Jeff Hardy would go on to defeat William Regal for the European title the following week on Raw, holding the belt for two weeks before losing it to RVD in another ladder match to unify the Intercontinental and European Championships. The match between Jeff Hardy and Undertaker from the July 1, 2002 Raw remains one of fans' favorite all-time matches on WWE's Monday Night Show. Hey everybody, it's Christine. Happy July the 4th. Next up is Talkin' Smack with J-Mac and our special guest, Jesse Velasquez. Enjoy! Jesse, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast with me. Really excited to talk to you today and uh, hope you're doing well. I appreciate it, Josh. Yeah, I'm ecstatic to be here. Awesome. Well, just looking at your Twitter bio, I saw you on JCV Wellness there in Minnesota. That is correct. Talk a little bit about what you do there. Absolutely. So I started out as an independent personal trainer, or I'm sorry, I started out at a big corporation, Lifetime Fitness, back in August of 2014. Decided it wasn't for me. I love the people there. I love the structure. The pay just wasn't the greatest. So I branched out on my own in May of 2016. I personally train folks in person, as well as I write out online programs and I am working towards a precision nutrition level two certification, which is, I'd say three quarters, the equivalent of a master's or like a registered dietitian. So I work with all different types of folks. Cool. I saw you did some uh, online personal training. That is correct. Yes. Awesome. I know, especially in today's times, that's a very important thing for people. Absolutely. And the wave, especially with quarantine the last three months with the pandemic, I actually took a master's certification course online last year with, uh, if you're familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk, I'm not sure if you are. No. 
Okay. Gary Vaynerchuk, VaynerMedia, very highly, um, he's like really social media mogul. He has two personal trainers that he kind of switches off. Both have pretty high online presences. So I ended up taking a mastermind course of theirs last year to transition my business full-time from in-person to online. Still kind of more 50-50, 60-40, I'd say, in-person. However, just with the pandemic, there's like a lot of in-person trainers scrambling with things to do, doing a lot of Zooms now and things like that. So that really benefited me. So like that week transition where everyone was scrambling, I just switched it to online mode for most of my folks, which was nice. Cool. I saw that you are a two-time Masters Olympic weightlifter. Talk about that experience. Absolutely. I got into Olympic weightlifting back in 2016. Got into CrossFit in 2014, which Olympic weightlifting is a big time modality with the CrossFit world. I started out as just a regular everyday fitness person, bodybuilding, running, yoga, all that good stuff. Gravitated to CrossFit for a few years, but Olympic weightlifting really took off. I never wanted to do an actual competition. I don't know if you're really familiar with, with Olympic weightlifting, like in the actual Olympics, are you? A little bit, yeah. Okay. So there's two, there's a snatch and a clean and jerk. Those are the two lifts and you're able to accumulate a total. And if your total is good enough, you're able to do like, for example, for the Olympics medal, they have specific requirements to actually get to the Olympics, but I was not on that level. I'm just fortunate enough to be 35 years old or I was 30, how old was I? 37 when I got into the, or I qualified for the Masters Olympic weightlifting competition. So I've done it in 2018, 2019, was supposed to do it in 2020, but everything halted. I'm turning 40 this year. So there was, there's a great chance that I could have qualified for the world championships, which would have been awesome. We're going to postpone it a year, see what happens with the pandemic. So personally, what does it take like diet wise and training wise to get involved in this? A lot. There's a lot of dedication in there, a lot of sacrifice. I'd say more so the balance. That's the important part. The balance of not just your own training, but also with work and things like that. If you look at high profile athletes, but I mean, look at professional wrestlers too, for example, just the the nutrition piece, the weightlifting, that is huge. So for me being a coach as well, I just practice what I preach. Higher in protein, um, I take on a little more carbs than a normal person would just to sustain more of a high energy pace, um, incorporate vegetables, but I do love my pizza and ice cream. So <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah. Talk about, I know you mentioned professional wrestling. Talk about how long you've been interested in professional wrestling, kind of your background there. Sure. I was, I think when I first remember, I was five years old, maybe watching it upstairs in my grandparents attic i think they had an upstairs bedroom up there watching saturday night's main event wwf my dad and his good friends were still really into it i know my uncle was a huge road warriors fan well i'm sure we're gonna be tying into that later and we went to the i live in minneapolis minnesota by the way we went to awa's wrestle rock back in 1986 i mean this was at the metrodome a huge venue i don't even think it was more than 50 percent full but i mean there were a ton of legends there like the road warriors were i believe nothing was the main event but guys like bruiser brody funks i believe were there the midnight rockers who were we know now Shawn michaels hall of famer the second version of tiger mask who uh, turns out to be mitsuharu misawa one of the greatest japanese wrestlers of all time this was like an all-star card you can youtube it i know that there's a few matches from that card on there so i recommend people check it out but ever since then i've been hooked on it and I don't know really what did it for me, whether it was like just the full athletic spectacle of it. It was the, the characters, whatever. But ever since then, I've been a professional wrestling fan. So then you would have been a fan through the Monday Night Wars, uh, WCW and WWF. Is there one that you particularly like more than the other? Of those promotions? Yes. Ooh, um, WCW, I would say first. And it wasn't, I mean, the NWO were so mainstream and that's what brought like tens, I was with seven to 10 million people to Monday Night Wrestling back in those days. Absolutely sensational. I was a WCW fan probably the moment that Hogan joined the NWO. As soon as that happened, it kind of got me acclimated with a lot of the mid-card guys there who ended up being main eventers later on, like your Benoit's, your Jericho's, Eddie Guerrero's, Steve Malenko's. 
Ultimo Dragons. The the cruiserweights were incredible. Rey Mysterio. And then once towards the tail end of the war, I'll never forget it. We watched them both, but we were more WCW. We watched The Undertaker, Mankind, Hell in the Cell, 98. And that like literally flipped my allegiances right there to watch a little more WWF than WCW. So I loved them both, but went WCW first, WWF second. Yeah, I can remember a lot of Monday nights flipping back and forth between the two. I was a big uh, Goldberg fan in WCW, but then I liked The Rock and Stone Cold and those guys, obviously, in the other companies. So a lot of Monday nights spent flipping back and forth before uh, DVR was around. Yeah, they were larger than life, and it brought more mainstream eyes to the product. It's something that I miss today. I wish more folks were into it now. I feel that today's wrestling product is 10 times better than that of 20 years ago. It's evolved, but people have just been driven away from it. And for what reason, I have no idea what that is, but it would just be fantastic to see WWE step up their efforts like they did back then, have that drive, AEW hopefully burgeon on the scene and start to draw in more attention. For sure, I've talked with past guests about the things that athletically that the wrestlers can do these days are phenomenal, and the in-ring work is great. I think sometimes the, the character work is lacking these days as opposed to in the past. And that's the number one reason, Josh, why I believe that it's, it's slipping. Because you look back then at Austin and Rock, like Rock specifically is able to transition into a movie career where he's now, what is he, the most profitable actor in Hollywood? I mean, there's only a specific amount of talents that have been able to, what I call, break the glass ceiling and be larger than the WWE itself. It was him, I would say, it's Rock, Stone Cold, Steve Austin, and Hulk Hogan were the, were the three that were able to really break through the WWE glass ceiling and become their own brand. Yeah, and I know you do some pro wrestling writing for both fan side. It's Daily DDT, uh, this new site, WrestleJoy.com, which just started. Talk about what you do for them. Um, Daily DDT. I've been there since November of 2018. Absolutely love it there. The core group of people, they're phenomenal. I have written articles... I'm all over the board. Like now I'm in AEW, NXT, New Japan. It's kind of like my, my area of expertise, but I still will follow the WWE, like the main roster from afar. This new product that WrestleJoy.com just started two weeks ago, uh, headed by Amy and Andy Nemity, two fantastic people. And what they're looking to do is just bring the joy of professional wrestling to the forefront. Because a lot of times, and we discussed this before, like literally before we went live, there's just a lot of negativity around on social media as well as wrestling and just some black clouds. So what WrestleJoy is just trying to do is just bring back what brought us to professional wrestling first and uh, put an emphasis on that as opposed to the stuff, the, the bickering back and forth, specifically on Twitter, I'd say. Just kind of childish arguments that turn into just heated debates instead of just, you know, like praising the stuff that deserves it. And we try to highlight that there at WrestleJoy.com. Awesome. I think it's it's really important. And I think that's part of the reason I wanted to start a podcast was to kind of give people something entertaining and fun and, and lighthearted to kind of listen to instead of all the stuff that we're bombarded by these days, particularly 2020 and I did want to talk about, I know you said you'd watched a few episodes of The Last Ride uh, about The Undertaker. I've watched them all. I'm sure you've probably heard the news that came out of the last one. Taker looks like retiring, although he says never say never, obviously, and and could still be pulled back in that way. But uh, what are your thoughts on The Undertaker and and 30 years (laughs) of that character? It's the best character that WWE has done in that time frame. It's the most organic. It was extremely unique. And Mark Calloway was just the right person to play it. Um, he had bounced around. What was he? he was in WCW and a few under independence before he did that. I think, and it was alluded to a lot in the episodes. I actually got about three quarters of the way through the last one before you and I are um, airing this. And he, I felt he should have retired probably after the Roman Reigns match. But the one thing that was super cool that kind of, um, kind of drew me back in to be like, okay, let's give it another try was his second hip surgery. The way that he was able to move around after that second hip surgery just kind of gave him 
new life and gave him a chance to kind of resurrect the wrong that he felt. I mean, going out on a match against Roman Reigns like that, where he was probably, I don't know, he didn't maybe allude to his percentage, maybe 40, 50% of what he used to be. So to be able to come back and even have like a simple three to five minute match with John Cena, but look good in a brief snippet moment and like, okay, I think I can go one more. I can keep this up. I can keep this up. Because a lot of times people will just extend their welcome. And whether it's be or not extend their welcome, but it's just extend their shelf life before physical skills erode. That happens. An athlete's prime in wrestling, it's probably early to mid 30s. And The Undertaker has been doing it longer. He's been what, mid 40s. Like, and now you're starting to see guys like AJ Styles, et cetera, that are in their 40s and still doing fantastic. But the five episodes were a synopsis of like that ending and just kind of a renewed, a renewed passion that he's always had. But just to be able to like take that time off, give himself the time off, and to physically rehab was the best thing he could have done. So I thought they did a great job of that. Just the passion that's shown. And um, I haven't quite got to the end, but I know they were alluding to him walking away after the AJ Styles match, which the Boneyard cinematic match I felt was fantastic. And it's a great way for him to go out. Great way. I don't think there's anybody he could have had better for his last match in AJ Styles, which he also said himself and kind of said he wouldn't have come back for anybody else but AJ. Talk about your thoughts on, on AJ Styles as a worker. He is, oh goodness. I think, Uh, In terms of all around, I think he's number one in the WWE. I always put him and Daniel Bryan kind of in that conversation. And to another extent, uh, people don't give him credit for in ring. Johnny Gargano, I feel, is on that level. AJ and Daniel Bryan, just there's the difference between those two and Gargano is their ability to be able to get themselves over on the microphone too. I think both do a fantastic job where Johnny's just a little bit behind them. Yeah, AJ to me is still the best in-ring performer in the WWE. I want to talk, getting back to the Undertaker uh, streak ending, uh, Brock Lesnar. Do you think that should have happened? Yes. To Brock, I'm not sure. I think with Brock Lesnar, I think if he had been more present, if he had wrestled more. And I mean, that's I don't think that's his fault. It's written in his contract that he had like a limited number of appearances. So I think he was the right guy as long as he was a little bit more active. I feel if you could have just like even had him show up 30 times a year, 36 times a year, he doesn't have to like wrestle every pay-per-view, but he has to be on raw, like giving a promo, like Paul Heyman giving a promo or have him in a vignette at home, just making sure, you know, making his presence known to the fans. Like, Hey, I'm still here. Outside of that, I think the, the only current talent that I would have put over him to end the streak, there's a couple CM Punk would have been one at the time, I guess in hindsight now that probably would not have been a great idea. So it was smart that, um, that didn't happen and i would say actually there's two other names bray wyatt currently i think he has the best character going outside of the undertaker very organic and then john cena would have been a great one too to end the streak most people when they retire or most legends when they retire they usually go out getting pinned so for the undertaker to go out potentially with a win over aj styles and his career is different so i guess to go back to the long-winded circle in question yes the streak should have ended it should have been to brock yes with an asterisk <laughs> yeah he um that was still one of the most shocking moments ever in wrestling to me i was watching it with a friend of mine and both of us just had our mouths wide open when that happened because we didn't see it coming ever <laughs> No, no one did. Yeah. Uh, so I know uh, on Twitter you call yourself a wrestling Twitter bracketologist. Uh, how long have you been doing uh, Twitter brackets? I just started this year. Just with March, the global pandemic shut everything down. NCAA basketball ended. And I mean, that's kind of the theme with March. When you associate the month of March in sports, you think of March Madness. So with a little bit more time on my hands with quarantine and stuff like that, I wasn't able to train people in person just doing Zoom stuff. I decided to create a bracket, the 64, 16 best wrestlers from AEW, NXT, New Japan, and WWE, and put them to a vote amongst the Twitter community. And I decided, well, people were loving it and they clamored for a women's one. So I did a women's one with a mixture of like NXT, NXT UK, stardom from Japan, main roster talents, and then some independent promotions as well. Thunder Rosa, NWA World Women's Champion was in there. Started with that. And then I'm like, well, people were clamoring for Japan. So I went there, then just finished a 40-year, 1980s to the present, greatest wrestler 
in that era uh, that just recently ended. Now I'm kicking off a tag team tournament. So I just figured I'd just run with the gimmick and it's been fairly well received. There's a lot of homework that goes into it. And it's, I mean, a lot of it for me is off of memory alone, but at the same time, the research that goes into it. I look to like a lot of folks out there, like, uh, I mean, Dave Meltzer being one, but I don't use him as like the Bible of all opinions. I take a lot of opinions from a lot of people, a lot of experts in the field, as well as um, kind of take the temperature of the social media world to see like what their opinions are of specific performers. So I would take a blend of all that and see these wrestlers specifically just to see what the Twitter world feels or who they feel is the best wrestler of these specific eras. And I'm actually looking forward to these concluding very soon. Uh, There's just, they're really time consuming. It's about an hour a day just to get matchups out and then bios out, just give people the correct information. Cause there could be some folks out there that don't know who a specific performer is and maybe they'll vote for someone who they're, that they're familiar with, as opposed to the person who was the best. So just kind of doing my homework for them, but I absolutely love it. Yeah. So uh, I know you're uh, trying to come up with the best tag team in the last 40 years. That tournament is ongoing right now. I do want to talk about the company I feel like has the best tag team division right now, uh, that being AEW. Talk about your thoughts on AEW's tag team division. It's a throwback. It's incredible what they're doing right now. And that was Matt and Nick Jackson's vision on that stage in Las Vegas when they announced Double or Nothing and said, we're bringing the best tag team division in the world to you. That's like our promise. And they've over-delivered and not just with matches alone, but you're like sixth and seventh best tag team in AEW could go anywhere else and be a world tag team champion. And now like adding FTR to the field when you have in my mind, that the Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers are the two best tag teams in the world today. I mean, when they're actually wrestling, the pandemic just kind of halting things. But to me, they're the top two. And then you have uh, Proud and Powerful, Santana and Ortiz, who a lot of folks felt were the best tag team in the world, coming from over from Impact. You have uh, FTR, The Revival. They're a throwback. They were absolutely incredible in NXT and in snippets in the WWE. But to see them now kind of like hone their craft in AEW where tag team wrestling is appreciated, which is all they wanted. The division as a whole is bringing tag team wrestling back to something we haven't seen since the late 80s and the early 90s when tag team wrestling was fashionable. It was awesome. I love their division. I love uh, that they came right out of the box, the, the big upset in the tournament private party going over the Young Bucks. That's a young team that I really like as well. Yeah, they're great. And that's the one thing. It's a catch-22 with the Young Bucks being EVPs of the company. So everyone was expecting like, yeah, they're the best tag team in the world. They should probably be the first champion, shouldn't they? But in reality, you're looking at them, Hangman Page, Kenny Omega, uh, Cody, even to an extent, like the Young Bucks took some losses to some teams to help introduce them to an audience that maybe had never seen them before. So maybe you and I have never seen Private Party before. So to see them come and get their win was awesome. And teams like TH2, uh, Angelico, Jack Evans, like they're awesome. They're just lost on a loaded roster right now. You have best friends who are getting a tag team title shot that they did some good work in new japan and on the independent scenes there's a few others that i'm missing but yeah again the tag team division's thriving and i don't look for it to stop as long as the young bucks are helping book the division thoughts on uh the hangman page kenny omega team They're awesome. I think at first it was just a makeshift tag team putting two single stars together. If I'm interpreting it right, I think the goal of putting that tag team together was to get Hangman Page's character over. I mean, it's been said ad nauseum by Cody that Hangman Page is the most talented member of the elite. He said it a handful of times and he's very gifted in the ring. Just something was lost with me character wise. So to have him team with Omega and now become this guy who is now synonymous with drinking, cowboy shit, all that good stuff. He's become the most compelling character. And I was at AEW Revolution and saw that tag match, the Young Bucks, Hangman and Omega. And I didn't really get an appreciation for what people call was the greatest tag match they'd ever seen. I thought it was the second best, but what I caught myself doing in the process was cheering for Hangman Page more than I was the other four. And I think it was because just his character, the sympathy that he was able to garner from uh, looking like he was about ready to just 
break out and maybe potentially break away on his own. And they tease it at the end. But now you're starting to see it come back to the, to the fold that Hangman and Omega now have amazing chemistry together. And they've become an amazing tag team. If they don't break them up like in the next couple of months, who knows? I mean, there's the potential they could keep going to be one of the best tag teams in the world today. But in the meantime, we're just going to, again, enjoy the ride and uh, still thinking that they're going to break up when we as an audience least expect it. I do. Hangman for me was a guy who was just kind of there when they first started AEW, but has evolved into a guy who's one of my most must see characters in their company. Now I really love him. Another, uh, you know, we talk about AEW's women's division uh, has been kind of up and down. We've seen some injuries lately, but uh, I'm happy they've kept uh, Dr. Britt Baker on TV. I've really liked her character work since the heel turn. Your thoughts on that? She's been incredible. And all it took was a simple heel turn back in, I think it was January, if I recall, just kind of with the making fun of Tony Schiavone for being a Starbucks barista and just taking it into her own. And who would have thought that's all it took for people to care more about Britt Baker. But they've always had, I felt they've always had the talent. I mean, it may not be the best, but they have enough talent to be able to uh, put on great matches on TV each week and develop good stories. Like Nyla Rose is one. I'd love to see Big Swole featured more. I mean, they've been featuring Penelope Ford more. Chris Statlander, she's an amazing athlete. There's a few others in there. Now you've seen that match with Anna Jay and uh, do you pronounce it Abaddon? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, I think so. Everybody loves the Abaddon character from what I've seen on uh, Twitter. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. I feel that they're going to start giving them more time. It's just you can only fit so much programming into two hours each week, which is why they've been teasing a one-hour, like, a, I mean, they have Dark, but they've been teasing another one-hour show on TNT. And I think if they do that, the best way to go would be to feature those women in that spot. So when you throw them on Dynamite, there's going to be more investment involved from the crowd around. Yeah, we've got obviously a Fighter Fest coming up, which will be uh, this episode will come out the day of the first uh, week of Fighter Fest. So talk about your thoughts on the matches so far for uh, Fighter Fest and the buildup. We can start at the top. John Moxie, Brian Cage. That is just going to be a full out physical brawl, as uh, Jim Ross would call it a slobber knocker. <laughs> I think that it's a little too early to put a title on Brian Cage. And I do feel that the Twitter community, social media and all this stuff, they're going to look at it and go, why like Lance Archer, Brody Lee, another example, two examples of guys who had a tremendous like kind of like introduction, but lost, they lost their first match. But to look at it, it was always in a championship setting and they can be rebuilt. One loss doesn't bury you. And I think it's going to be the same case here. I think Moxie's going to win. He's going to win and Brian Cage is going to look great in the process and a loss. Is, that's one. How about the uh, Orange Cassidy Jericho buildup? It's been fantastic. And all it took was Orange Cassidy to stumble into a backstage promo of Jericho's just to get it beginning. And Jericho has a great way of elevating younger talent such as Jungle Boy with a 10-minute time limit draw. And Jungle Boy, to me, has become one of the most improved wrestlers on that roster. You have him. I'm trying to think who else he's wrestled. Scorpio Sky is given a shot, too. It's a great contest. Um, Orange Cassidy, it took a while for me to warm to him. Now I get his gimmick. Like, once he's serious, like, the guy can go. Watching him in the independent scene is incredible, and the fans absolutely love him. He's one of the wrestlers that when fans are allowed back in arenas, he's going to be strapped to a rocket and he's going to be in some sort of title contention. He doesn't really need a title, but at the same time, I think his character is so over, they'd be doing an injustice not giving him a championship at some point. I do think Jericho's going to win this match, but again, Orange Cassidy's going to come out of it looking like a million bucks. Yeah, I think so too. Jericho's really great at getting guys over. You know, he's he's done a great job of helping get Sammy Guevara and, and the other guys in his faction over as well. So it's really great to continue to see him. His real goal is, to, you know, I think he was great as the first champion of the company to, to get some name value out there. But then also he really does a great job of giving back. He's lost more matches recently and, and is getting guys over in a much better way. And that's the biggest reason why that the championship was put on him. You nailed it right there, Josh. A lot of people didn't get that. I think people were upset that Hangman Page didn't win the AW championship. But at the same time, 
his character wasn't developed, I think, well enough for him to be able to be the flag bearer right away when they haven't been on national television yet. And you need somebody to be the face right away to draw more viewers in. And Chris Jericho was the perfect guy. And now Hangman Page's character is being rebuilt on the fly to the point where now you can throw him back in this setting. And I think he's ready to be an AEW world champion. Yeah, and we talk about champions. Uh, Cody Rhodes, the first TNT champion there, has been defending it every week, which I love. Talk about your thoughts on that. That's what I love about him. He's extremely passionate about the business, and it's one of the biggest reasons why EW is in business. Obviously, him and the Young Bucks had an idea and brought Tony Khan, rest is history. He's a fighting champion. It's been a lot of fun to see. I feel that where they're going with his character is he's going to be defending this title week after week after week. Eventually, he's going to be worn down. It's going to cost him. And the character itself, we don't know where that's going to spin off. And that's what's going to be exciting to see. I mean, it's going to become a story each and every week. Who's going to be the guy to knock off Cody for the TNT championship? I don't see, alluding to back to Fighter Fest, I don't see Jake Hager being that guy. He is the muscle in the inner circle. I, he's been involved already in title match with Moxley. But at the same time, to me, he's just, gosh, he's just more of a bodyguard presence as opposed to, he just needs more depth to his character. And once that happens, he could be thrown in these mixes because the guy has a tremendous athletic background. I mean, he's a professional, he's an MMA fighter, had a uh, wrestling background in college. So Cody's going to retain, I feel. And from there, it's anybody's guess as to who is going to finally knock him off. But it's going to be a wild chase to see. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. We've seen some little hints, I think, sometimes of a Cody Hill turn possibly coming eventually. And maybe that could be a way to springboard into that where he kind of blames it on, you know, I was trying to defend it every week. And it goes into a Hill turn for Cody eventually there. I see that happening too. And they've been teasing. And actually, now that you mentioned it, I believe it's last week where he kind of teased. He's like, am I even in the elite anymore? I mean, people were kind of wondering why he wasn't in the uh, stadium stampede match, which obviously is because he was going after the TNT title. They're obviously teasing some like not rebirth, but a four horsemen like faction. I could see it. Him, the FTR, and potentially Sean Spears being that fourth guy. I thought MJF would be that fourth guy. Cody's feuded with them both. It's looking more and more like Sean Spears would probably be the fourth guy just because Tully Blanchard's the manager. And I'm all for it. I also feel that Cody, as a heel, if he were to go back that route, it would instantly be one of the top three in the business. And it's just where he's better suited. I know we talked about tag teams a little bit earlier. I wanted to move into a segment we call Ranky Panky. Uh, my wife actually came up with this name uh, where we rank our top five of, of something each week. Uh, we were going to rank our top five personal favorite tag teams of all time. And I wanted to start in a little bit. I had some honorable mention. First of all, it just missed my list. I wanted to mention um, the first one, uh, Team Hell No, Kane and Daniel Bryan. I love those guys. Going back to you know, Scorpio Sky was Harold in those uh, segments they had with uh, Dr. Shelby and the anger management. I love when Kane can be silly. Uh, as a character at times and then can also be the monster cane but I love that team they, they really played well off of each other and uh you know I'm a huge Daniel Bryan fan as you mentioned earlier one of the best in-ring performers ever and especially now absolutely my next honorable mention the APA I always like Bradshaw and Farouk they were just this these guys that sat in the back and, and played cars and drunk beer and smoked cigars and, and went out and beat people up in the ring they were just a really hard-hitting smash mouth team I love the clothesline from hell <laughs> that Bradshaw did that was one of my favorite finishers back in the day the Shield, I love The Shield. Uh, the way they were booked when they came into WWE was great. They were booked as a big deal, and it was a big deal to beat them. I think one of the first teams to beat them was actually Brian Kane and Orton in a six-man tag. And then uh, my last honorable will mention uh, the world's greatest tag team, Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas, uh, were mentored by Kurt Angle. And uh, I love the fact that both of those guys could actually go in an actual match because they're both phenomenal athletes, especially Shelton. I've always been a huge Shelton Benjamin fan. Thought there could have been more done with him. Thinking the way things are going, he may be joining a, a faction with MVP now with the way they've been hitting at some things recently. But those were my honorable mentions. We'll see what you've got. 
That'll be really nice to see. Fun fact, both Shelton Benjamin and Brock Lesnar graduated from the University of Minnesota. I graduated from there as well. They were seniors when I was a freshman. I know Lesnar was. I'm not sure if Benjamin was still in school, but I definitely, yeah, that kind of uh, tugs at my heartstrings too. I'm a huge Shelton Benjamin mark. There's no question there. All right. Uh, four honorable mention teams, the Eliminators from ECW with John Cronus and Perry Saturn. Their style today holds up extremely well. Perry Saturn, as we know, went on to WCW to join Raven's Flock. I thought he would have been a bigger deal there. But like as a team, as the face of the ECW brand back then, I felt the Eliminators did a great job of taking it from public enemy. So that would be number one. I'm going the APA as well with you. My honorable mention for favorites, um, like you just said, very chill, smoking cigars in the back. So fun. Just fun times. Much similar to your Shield favorite tag teams, Stardust and Goldust. Cody and Dustin Rhodes as a tag team back then. That's what brought the resurgence of Dustin Rhodes' career back to the forefront. Like the matches they had with the Shield were absolutely incredible. Vastly underrated. If people haven't gone and watched them, I think you can, you can find them on the network somewhere. That's awesome. My final honorable mention for favorite tag teams is the Young Bucks. I think the way they carry themselves, granted, they're brash, they're a little cocky here and there. I feel that they've matured as they've gotten older and they've just done a tremendous amount for the business today and brought tag team wrestling back to the forefront. So they just missed my honorable mention of five favorite tag teams ever. Cool. You know, I, the Young Bucks, I remember a, a run they had back in the day with uh, TNA, and I remember not really being a big fan of them. Nowadays, I'm a much bigger fan, especially with the work they've done behind the scenes, helping that tag team division in AEW like we talked about. And then Dustin Rhodes, a guy who is doing a great job. He's, he's teaming with QT Marshall there, and uh, also he's just a guy who seems ageless. I mean, he's better now than he's ever been. Obviously, he had some drug problems and things I know that affected him, but the way he's able to go out and perform at his age is, is phenomenal I want to get into my top five number five for me the rock and sock connection the rock is my favorite of all time period and, and I've always loved Mick Foley and all the iterations of his character and mankind in this particular team him and the rock you know were rivals turned tag team and, and just played off of each other so well. The, the This Is Your Life segment, one of the greatest segments of all time, the highest rated. Uh, so uh, the Rock and Sock connection I had at number five. What do you got? I love that. <laughs> uh, my brother, it's so funny. Um, he actually, when I was putting this tag team tournament together, he's like, there wouldn't be a tag team tournament without any through a gif of the rock and sock connection in there. I'm like, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but they're not in there. They just weren't a team long enough. But yes, I absolutely love them. My number five favorite tag team ever was the, was the Dudley boys. They were timeless. They've gone all, all over the world to compete. ECW, they were these vicious heels, just full of the most vile language you can think of, did the most dastardly things. Um, it got them noticed by Vince McMahon, WWF brass back then. They went on to become one of the most legendary tag teams in WWE slash WWF history. They've won championships in New Japan, but just the fun that those two had teaming together and even in their last run with the WWE, you could tell that they just have such incredible chemistry together. And it just made for such compelling television each and every time just to be able to go from a super serious gimmick to a little bit of a comedy mixed in. They just their, their depths of their characters was fantastic. So they're my number five. Awesome. I'll talk a little bit more about the Dudley boys in a minute because they're also on my list. Uh, but number four, I've got Edge and Christian. You talk about chemistry, these guys chemistry together and their chemistry also with the Dudleys and the Hardys and the matches those three had. Those three teams were just phenomenal. Edge and Christian also great at being comedy characters, but then also turning it on and in the ring. You know, I love their run in the brood. Uh, with Gangrel kind of getting their start. That entrance is one of my favorites of all time as well. But Edge and Christian, two guys who broke off and were able to find singles success. Obviously, Christian more so in TNA than anything, but his run there was great. But then together, those guys just played off each other so well. I remember the, the kazoos that they would play. That segment in particular was hilarious, but I had them at number four. They were a fun tag team. I 
should have mentioned them in my honorable mention. <laughs> my number four is a current tag team. I'm going with Proud and Powerful Santana and Ortiz. They're fairly new. I think they've been together like a House of Glory New York for the last four years, but I've really um, caught a liking to them in AEW to the point where I've actually gone back and watched a lot of their impact work and a lot of their House of Glory work. And Ortiz, his comedic timing to me is incredible. I think he's one of the more uh, underrated characters in AEW. It's kind of hard to like upstage Chris Jericho and anything, but just the, the mannerisms, just the simple little things that Ortiz does. And then Santana brings his athletic ability and just like the chemistry and the, and again, the comedy factor behind them. I got to go back and watch more of their stuff, but they are currently my favorite tag team, but they're the number four tag team of mine favorite wise of all time. Yeah, I've liked them ever since their TNA slash Impact wrestling days. They really helped uh, that tag team division at times is lacked in having a lot of teams, but they always made those titles seem to mean something. I know the North are kind of doing the same thing now. They don't really have a ton of great competition as you would in AEW, but uh, I've always been a fan of uh, Ortiz and Santana. I know you mentioned them a minute ago, number three for me, the Dudley Boys. I think 23 tag team title reigns. If I'm counting correctly, combined in WWE, WCW, ECW, TNA as Team 3D there. Just legends. There's not much else I can say about them other than that. You know, that those matches with the Hardys and Edge and Christian are iconic and some of the greatest tag team matches of all time. Absolutely. Love them. Number three for me was the Steiner Brothers, Rick and Scott. They took the tag team level or they took the tag team division to another level when they first joined in going across seas but just the incredible tag matches they had in the early 90s with Sting and Lex Luger being one but going over to Japan and just applying their craft there and Scott going from tremendous athletic ability to just a monster in the ring the chemistry that they have together obviously being siblings was there just omnipresent they were a very serious tag team it's something that I truly enjoyed go back and watch a lot of their classics too because I think maybe some people forget about Rick Steiner a bit and they also forget what Scott Steiner was when he started so for those who haven't go watch him I mean it's timeless work and some people would even go on to say that they might be the greatest tag team of all time. But that's just an opinion, obviously. Steiner's at three. Yeah, they're definitely up there. Uh, Rick Steiner was actually my favorite Steiner brother. <laughs> I enjoyed uh, watching him uh, bark like a dog. <laughs> I can remember that back in the day. He was very fun, yes. Those guys were great together. Number two, for me, the Hardy Boys. I'm going with the third of the uh, the three teams I've discussed. Being from North Carolina, they obviously have a special connection to the Hardy Boys and, and love to see them do well. I was always a bigger Matt fan. I think most people kind of like Jeff more, but uh, obviously he's the one that was the bigger risk taker. But Matt Hardy, in recent years especially, has really reinvented himself. We've seen all the characters he has now in AEW and, and started an impact. Got the chance to uh, meet Matt at a smaller show here a few years ago when he was with Impact. He was actually just uh, transitioning into the broken character at the time, but being from North Carolina, he was playing the face and the old Hardy Boy character there. But I uh, got a picture taken with him, so it was really a lot of fun. But I, I I love both of those guys. It'll be interesting to see if Jeff goes and joins his brother in AEW here when his contract is up or, or, or what he's going to decide to do. We could see another Team Extreme uh, reuniting again. Those guys, man, something else. From what I've been hearing and just about what's been going on with Jeff and his work in the WWE right now, I think there's probably leaning towards him leaving sooner rather than later. And it's funny that you actually said that like you love Matt Hardy more than you did Jeff. And like his character work in recent years is just taken off like a rocket. Even version one was just awesome <laughs> to see. So that's really cool. My number two were the outsiders, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash. They obviously, they revolutionized the business with the new world order, but just they exuded charisma, cool they were, to me, just larger-than-life characters. They had some some tag team pedigree when they were there. They won a couple of WCW championships, but just the everlasting memory of their personas, their characters, and how well that they teamed together. Just that, to me, that's why I love them so much. I could have put them at number one, but like my number one holds a special place in my heart. So, Outsiders for me at number two. Number one for me also obviously holds a, a special place in my heart. The Brothers of Destruction. Undertaker and Kane, uh, just seeing two seven-footers come out uh, when those guys were in their primes. Kane was huge. Undertaker was huge. 
I always, you know, I love to watch them feud against each other. I love to watch them team together. It was just, it, I never got tired of it. It brought another kind of layer to the Undertaker character when they introduced Kane and the way they introduced him like a monster. But he's really evolved and been able to play, as I said earlier, a comedy type character as well. And now Mayor Kane, obviously, but uh, uh, man, just seeing those guys come out together, that was, uh, it was kind of like, who who can beat these guys, you know? <laughs> It, yeah, I'm actually surprised that they didn't team more. I mean, more in like the mid 2000s, I would say. If I recall, they had a year or two where they were a pretty solid, a year, I think, where they were a solid tag team for just the duration, won some championships. But the depth, like you said, of Kane's character is, it's overlooked just because he's able to pull off some comedy even after he was brought in as a serious character, then he unmasked and like just became this terror, just this tremendous terror in the WWE. Yeah. And I was a, I was a teenager at the time of the uh, unmasking and I scared the crap out of me still <laughs> at, at times. Absolutely. I think the introduction of his character alone while I'm at bad blood against Shawn Michaels, which was one of the best Ashley's might be the most underrated of their matches, the Michaels and the undertaker um, trilogy there. Uh, bad blood. Go back and watch that too. My number one, Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, Animal and Hawk. They grew up about 15, 20 minutes from where I did. They, I know that Animal still lives in our area, probably about 15 minutes away from me. So obviously growing up in the mid-80s, they were the tag team. They were dominant. A lot of wrestlers came from Minnesota, like those two, Kurt Henning, Rick Rude, like, and they all came up in the business together and they were all pretty good friends. Like they would all work out at the gym together in uh, Robbinsdale, Minnesota, just the suburbs north of Minneapolis. But anytime their music hit, I mean, they started out coming out to Iron Man and AWA by Black Sabbath, with Ozzy Osbourne, the shoulder pads, just everything about them just exuded badass. And they were able to parlay that into what a lot of folks will say was the greatest tag team career in the history of the business. And they made event in a lot of places. So to beat them was, was a big deal. And I think just for the reason alone that they were born here in the state of Minnesota, they are my number one tag team of all time. Yeah, I know we've been uh, ranking our favorites, but obviously if I was to rank a, uh, a Mount Rushmore, uh, the Road Warriors would, would obviously definitely be on that Mount Rushmore. Jesse, before we go, uh, I want you to give out your uh, Twitter handle in case somebody wants to come and vote on one of your brackets or, or check out what you're doing. <laughs> My Twitter handle is DAJVShow24. Once again, DAJVShow24. Awesome. Well, man, I have enjoyed uh, getting to know you a little bit today, getting to talk to you about these rankings. I always enjoy every week seeing uh, the differences we've got with each person, but but hearing their list and the reasoning behind it, really enjoyed talking specifically tag team wrestling with you. And uh, just thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you very much. I mean, it's it's great water cooler debate, especially in a time of a global pandemic. So, and that's, I guess, going back to the tournament part. That's the one reason why I started it was to give us something to look forward to during these times in-house. But uh, thank you so much for having me, Josh. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Take care. You do the same. And that does it for this episode of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. We've made it to 10 episodes, folks. Really excited about number 11 coming up next week. First, I'd like to thank Jesse Velasquez for joining me today, Minneapolis, Minnesota native. You can read his work about professional wrestling at Fansided's Daily DDT and WrestleJoy.com, so check out that. I really enjoyed our conversation today, especially the Ranky Panky, as always, as we ranked our top five favorite tag teams of all time. My top five going five to one were the Rock and Sock Connection, Edge and Christian, the Dudley Boys, the Hardy Boys, and the Brothers of Destruction. For Jesse, his top five going five to one, he also had the Dudley Boys at number five, Proud and Powerful, Santana and Ortiz at number four, the Steiner Brothers at number three, the Outsiders at number two, and the Legends, the Road Warriors at number one. As I said, next week, episode number 11, my wife will rejoin me. She'll be here for Ranky Panky. We'll have a full court press in which I share my thoughts on Major League Baseball's return to play plan and much more coming up on Four Quarters with Josh McKinney next week. Until then, follow me on Twitter at SuperJMac32 or like Four Quarters with Josh McKinney on Facebook. Stay safe, stay healthy, folks, and hope you'll listen to me again next week.